Good evening. Welcome to our Monday, Thursday service. I'm glad that you guys are here. Don't uh, forget um, to come to the Good Friday service tomorrow night, uh, Tenebrae service. Um, I was, it's my, I think I said this on Sunday morning, it's my favorite service of the year. I'm always very moved uh, at the Tenebrae service. Uh, so see you back tomorrow night. Uh, but I'm glad that you're here tonight too. All right, uh, I don't have any announcements. Let's go ahead and stand and sing When You Woke That Thursday Morning. Thank you. 
continue in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord, have mercy upon us. Christ, have mercy upon us. Lord, have mercy upon us. Almighty God, merciful Father, I, a poor, miserable sinner, confess unto you all my sins and iniquities with which I have ever offended you and justly deserved your temporal and eternal punishment. But I am heartily sorry for them and sincerely repent of them. And I pray you of your boundless mercy and for the sake of the holy, innocent, bitter sufferings and death of your beloved Son, Jesus Christ, to be gracious and merciful to me, a poor, sinful being. God, be merciful to you and strengthen your faith. Amen. Do you believe that the forgiveness I speak is not my forgiveness, but God's? Let it be done for you as you believe. God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. From Psalm 116, what shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits to me? I will lift up the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. O Lord, I am your servant. I am your servant, the son of your maidservant. You have loosed my bonds. I will offer to you the sacrifice of thanksgiving and call on the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people, in the courts of the house of the Lord, in your midst, O Jerusalem. Praise the Lord. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. You may be seated. Old Testament reading from Exodus 24. This is after the um, um, redemption from Egypt and the giving of the Ten Commandments. Moses came and told the people all the words of the Lord and all the just decrees. And all the people answered with one voice and said, All the words that the Lord has spoken, we will do. And Moses wrote down all the words of the Lord. He rose early in the morning and built an altar at the foot of the mountain and twelve pillars according to the twelve tribes of Israel. And he sent young men of the people of Israel who offered burnt offerings and sacrificed peace offerings of oxen to the Lord. And Moses took half of the blood and put it in basins, and half of the blood he threw against the altar. Then he took the book of the covenant and read it in the hearing of the people. And they said, all that the Lord has spoken we will do, and we will be obedient. And Moses took the blood and threw it on the people and said, Behold the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. Then Moses and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and 70 of the elders of Israel went up, and they saw the God of Israel. There was under his feet, as it were, a pavement of sapphire stone, like the very heaven for clearness. And he did not lay his hand on the chief men of the people of Israel. They beheld God and ate and drank. 
This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Epistle reading from Hebrews 9, 11 through 22. This refers back to uh, the covenant, um, the, the, the ratification of the Mosaic covenant that we just read about from Exodus 24. When Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. For if the sprinkling of defiled persons with the blood of goats and bulls and with the ashes of a heifer sanctifies for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Therefore, he is the mediator of a new covenant, so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance, since a death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. For where a will is involved, the death of the one who made it must be established, for a will takes effect only at death, since it's not in force as long as the one who made it is alive. Therefore, not even the first covenant was inaugurated without blood. For when every commandment of the law had been declared by Moses to all the people, he took the blood of calves and goats with water and scarlet wool and hyssop and sprinkled both the book itself and all the people, saying, This is the blood of the covenant that God commanded for you. And in the same way he sprinkled with the blood both the tent and all the vessels used in worship. Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please stand for the gospel reading. The Holy Gospel according to St. Matthew, chapter 26. Glory to you, O Lord. Now on the first day of unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus saying, Where will you have us prepared for you to eat the Passover? He said, Go into the city to a certain man and say to him, The teacher says, My time is at hand. I will keep the Passover at your house with my disciples. And the disciples did as Jesus had directed them, and they prepared the Passover. When it was evening, he reclined at table with the twelve. And as they were eating, he said, Truly I say to you, one of you will betray me. And they were very sorrowful and began to say to him one after another, Is it I, Lord? He answered, He who has dipped his hand in the dish with me will betray me. The Son of Man goes, it is written of him. But woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. Judas, who would betray him, answered, Is it I, Rabbi? And he said to him, You have said so. Now as they were eating, Jesus took bread, and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Let's confess our faith with the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, 
suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. You may be seated. Monday, Thursday, is, uh, this is the night that we contemplate um, the first Lord's Supper, the Last Supper, 
the first time uh, Jesus meets with his disciples and says, but, but, but not the last time that Jesus meets with his disciples and says, this is my body and this is my blood. And I always try, I try to, uh, at least the past few years, I've tried to take this uh, opportunity, Monday, Thursday, to talk about communion and what it means. If you're looking for an argument for a particular view of what happens at communion, I'm not going to do that tonight. Uh, there's a time and place for that. I, I just don't have time to do it tonight. A new members class is a good time to do it. And I'll try to do it in sermons at some point this year as well. What I want to do is, just real quickly if I can, look at, the, look at some themes in Exodus. What Jesus does in the Lord's Supper. Look, you can't understand the Lord's Supper if you don't understand the book of Exodus, which is easy to read and, and it's, it's, it's fairly easy to grasp. Jesus takes three great themes from the book of Exodus and he ties them all together in the Lord's Supper. And I want to point out those three themes tonight. And, and you're aware of all of them, but it helps to see Jesus like weave them together in one climactic moment and say, this is who you are. This is who I am for you. Keep doing this because I will never stop being this for you. And, and, he, and he uses these themes from Exodus to do this. So, so first of all, I mean, it's no mistake, verses 17 through 19, it's the first day of unleavened bread. The disciples say, where are we going to eat Passover? And Jesus goes, says, go tell this guy that you're going to meet, I will keep the Passover at your house. So this is happening during the great Passover festival, it would happen once a year. This is not a mistake, it's not a coincidence, it's not that Jesus happens to go to Jerusalem and die, and oh, oh wow, look at that, it happens to be Passover too. Isn't that an interesting coincidence? This is intentionally done by Jesus. He orchestrates this event because what he wants to do is he wants to pull on this great Passover theme of redemption. And one of the things that's going on with the Lord's Supper is that Jesus is saying, all the times that we've celebrated every year that God redeemed us, his people, out of Egypt, that he took us out of slavery and that he defeated our enemies and established us as a free nation, a free people under him. Every year that we've been celebrating that is coming to a head tonight. And it's all been looking forward to this one moment when Jesus, bizarrely, there's no other way to put it, his, the, the, the people who are sitting in the room with him, his disciples, and as, as Kevin Parviz pointed out to us last year, almost it would not have been like the Leonardo da Vinci painting. Almost certainly it would have been his disciples, and a bunch of people with them, their wives, their kids, their extended families. It would have been a crowded room full of noise. And when Jesus inserts into the Passover liturgy this weird line, this is my body, and this is my blood, the room had to have come to a standstill. No sane Jewish man would interrupt the sacred liturgy to say, I'm doing this tonight. I'm going to deliver us from the pharaohs of the world tonight. I'm going to finally deliver us. Look, so it's not that, that the disciples, it takes them a while to, to get this too. Even after Jesus rises from the dead, they asked him, okay, now is it time for Israel to be established as a nation and we get rid of the Romans in Acts chapter one and Jesus says, hold your horses. That's not, that's not, on the, it's not anything that you need to think about right now. I've got bigger fish to fry. We're going to rescue the whole world go into Judea and Jerusalem and Samaria into the uttermost parts of the world. It's not going to look like the way they expected it. It's not going to be Caesar's armies 
buried underneath a flood of water as Israel crosses a new Red Sea. Instead, it's going to happen because God decides to defeat, through Jesus' death and resurrection, the dark forces that give the Caesars of the world power. And now I'm gonna stop with that because I just preached a whole sermon series on Revelation and I'm not gonna preach this, the same sermon series again except to say that, that Jesus is after the enemy that's at the heart of all the evil in the world. Once he defeats Satan, once he defeats our sin, then all the Caesars of the world will fall and not until then. And it won't do any good to beat the Caesars as long as, as Satan's on the loose and as long as our flesh is what it is. And what Jesus says in the Lord's Supper is that I am delivering you tonight from everything that's ever gone wrong in the world. I'm going to rescue us. This is about redemption. So he takes this, he takes this theme of redemption and says, it's happening tonight. This is the exodus that the first exodus was just a shadow of. It was just prelude to this main theme, my new exodus. And when, when we, when you and I, brothers and sisters, when we celebrate communion, we are participating with them in that event. We are there gathered with the disciples around the table, fellowshipping with Jesus, taking into us his body and his blood for our salvation. And whenever we take communion, we do the same thing that they did. We're remembering in the past the great events of redemption that mark us now, especially the death and resurrection of Jesus. It's the apex of all the great redemption events. We're believing now it's confirming to us even now that we are, redeemed, we are God's redeemed people. And I know that you might think, it doesn't feel like that. It doesn't feel like Jesus has won the victory over all the forces of the world. Well, I'm sure it didn't, feel like Peter, it didn't feel like that to Peter when he was sitting in the prison several times in the book of Acts. I'm sure it didn't feel like that to Paul when he was about to be beheaded. And yet, by faith we grasp this reality that Jesus has won the victory. It's also looking forward to the future. This promise that the, that the Exodus event that was started in Egypt 3,500 years ago, that Jesus brought to a climax 2,000 years ago on the cross and in the empty tomb, is going to be completed someday, that someday, finally, all will be made new. So that's why um, it's best not to think of communion as a remembrance event purely. It definitely is. When Jesus says, do this in remembrance of me, he's not just saying, think about this. He's saying, do this in remembrance of me. This is a, don't dismember me, remember me in the eating and the drinking of this. Focus on me. No longer should you think primarily about the blood on the doorpost. No longer should you think about Pharaoh's army chasing you into the Red Sea. From now on, the focal point of this event will be me. That's why it's a fancy word here. You can bleep over this if you want to. I like to say, the Lord, that, that, that the Last Supper, the Lord's Supper, Holy Communion, reactualizes the events of Jesus' resurrection. It makes it real. It doesn't, re, it doesn't re-sacrifice Christ. That was a once-for-all event where Christ paid for the sins of the whole world. But what it does is it brings it and it applies it to us in the moment. More on that in the third point. Redemption is the first thing he brings together, this, this great exodus event. The second thing is covenant. He says in verses 27 and 28, he says, take it, uh, was, uh, he takes the cup and when he'd given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink of it all of you for this is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Or, or, or in Luke's version, this is the cup of the new covenant, Luke says. 
Um, what does that mean? So there's Exodus, that's the deliverance from Egypt, redemption. There's also covenant. Well, we read about that in Exodus 24. This is the second of the great book of Exodus themes that Jesus is pulling on to give meaning to this meal. The covenant. You may notice how weird it is. And if, for those of you who are in the new members class, we just read this uh, 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 a little bit ago. So this will be old hat for you. Does anybody know how, did anybody notice how weird it is that Moses gathers the people of Israel at the foot of Mount Sinai and he sacrifices an ox and he takes the blood from the ox and he puts it into two separate bowls. And he takes one bowl and he throws it towards the altar. And then he takes the other bowl and he throws it towards the people. I, I don't know if anybody thought that that was weird or not. I, I think it's weird every time uh, I read it. It's not the kind of thing that we would do, thankfully. It's, but, but it is the kind of thing that they would do in the ancient world. It wasn't primarily, it was, God used this as a part of their political grammar. God used it to show what he was doing. But all the peoples around Israel had these covenant ceremonies. It was a political ceremony where, whereby a, a powerful king would find a vassal king and say, I'm taking you under my wing. Don't ask any questions. You don't get a choice about this. I'm taking you under my wing. And we are gonna make a covenant with each other. I'm gonna be your king and you are gonna be my client king. And you are gonna pay me taxes and you're gonna provide people for my army and you're gonna be loyal to me. No questions asked. I, in turn, will provide for you. I will make sure that you never starve. I will make sure that when you're attacked by a foreign army, I come to your defense. I will protect you and I will be loyal to you. This is a ceremony that was very, in case anybody's interested, in case anybody wants to check this out on Wikipedia, uh, look up a Hittite covenant ceremony. It's a, a very common in the ancient world. These ceremonies would conclude with a, with, with a part of a ceremony called the cutting of the covenant. And it would involve the sacrifice of an animal. The animal would be cut and we see this with Abraham in Genesis chapter 17. And the animal's body parts would be separated or its blood would be put on two separate, uh, two separate sides of, uh, of, a, of a pathway. And the people who were making the covenant, both the king and the client king, would pass in the middle of this blood or this cut up animal. And what that ceremony was saying was this. If either one of us breaks faith with this covenant, if either one of us turns our back on the other, may we be cut up like this animal was. May our blood be shed like this animal was. God makes a similar covenant in Exodus chapter 24 that we just read about. He takes blood of an ox. Moses throws half of the blood towards God, towards the altar. And he throws the other half of the blood towards the people. And the meaning is super clear. God is putting himself in a covenant with you and whoever is faithless to us, whether it's you guys or whether it's God, whoever is faithless to this, may they be cut up. Uh, but of course, it's, it's very soon that there's a problem, which is God's people are faithless to him. Moses goes back up in Exodus uh, uh, 30 through 34, just a couple chapters later. Moses goes back up on the mountain to meet with God again. The people freak out. They get Aaron to make a big golden idol. They bow down to this golden idol. And the covenant has already been broken. Covenant's already been smashed to pieces. And now God has a choice. We humans are the ones who are liable for violating the covenant. I know I have. I'm assuming that you have not been faithful to God. We've not obeyed his commands. 
We've not loved each other like we should. We've not loved him like we ought. We are liable to be cut up. God could do that and it would be perfectly just, perfectly righteous. But what he does instead is he becomes a human being. And as a human being, he allows himself to be cut up, to pay the penalty for violating covenant. But because he's God, he can take it. I I personally cannot be cut to pieces and survive, and neither could you. Jesus, though, when you cut him to pieces, three days later he comes back from the dead because he's God. As a man, he's able to pay for the violation of the covenant that his brothers and sisters in humanity have committed. But as God, he's powerful enough to do it and survive, and by doing so, he keeps the covenant intact. God says, I've paid the price. I consider you guys, you guys, to be completely faithful to the covenant. And I know in the back of your head we think, in the back of my head I think, but I'm not faithful to covenant. And God says, no, no, no. I look at you as faithful to covenant. I consider you to be completely on the up and up, completely without any sort of blame in the violation of the covenant because my son has already paid for the price. And when Jesus pulls on this covenant theme from Exodus 24, which the writer of Hebrews pulls on too, he's joining that with the great redemption theme. There's redemption, but also included is relationship. I'm gonna rescue you out of Egypt, but I'm also making an eternal commitment to you to be your God and you'll be my people. And every time we come to the rail, we experience a ratification afresh of God's commitment to be faithful to people who aren't faithful, but by being faithful to people who aren't faithful, he makes us faithful. And the covenant stays intact. But it only happens because Jesus stands between us. Because Jesus is God who keeps covenant, but he's also a human who can pay for us breaking the covenant. The third piece is this, tabernacle. And this is actually the main point. Sometimes I hear Lutherans talk about, what's the gospel? The gospel is God forgives our sins. This is true, it doesn't go far enough. Why does God forgive our sins? Just to forgive our sins? Well, God forgives our sins so we can go to heaven when we die. Okay, that still doesn't go far enough. Why does God forgive our sins? The answer is in the book of Exodus. You can find this in Exodus chapter 25. You can find it in Exodus chapter 40, the very last lines of the book of Exodus. The reason why God forgives our sins is because he wants to live with us. God can only live with people who are holy. So he redeems us. He puts himself in covenant with us. He forgives our sins. And then he comes and he lives with us. End of, end of Exodus 40, the tabernacle's built. The glory of the Lord comes and moves in and fills the tabernacle with smoke and with fire. God's presence is now living with his people. Well, you get a hint of this here. This, this interesting last line, much argued over last line of our reading, actually uh, 29, second to last verse. I tell you, Jesus says, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. All right, so what does this mean? I was reading a a commentator I very much admire, a guy named D.A. Carson, and his comment on this was that what Jesus is saying is, I'm having the Lord's Supper with you tonight, the Last Supper. I will not eat with you again until I return the second time out in the future and the kingdom is consummated. The only problem with that is that in the Gospel of Luke and in the Gospel of John, Jesus has many meals with his disciples after he rises from the dead, including some that are clearly meant to be sacramental. Think of the two disciples on the road to Emmaus who see Jesus, finally their eyes are open, in the breaking of the bread. 
So it can't be about some future second coming event. Instead, here's our second option. It's Jesus' promise that this Last Supper is not the Last Supper. That every time you come to communion, every time you celebrate Eucharist, I will be there with you because you will be in my kingdom in that moment. This is one of the great teachings of the New Testament is the kingdom is not out there somewhere in the future waiting for Jesus to return, but the kingdom is right now. Paul says in Colossians 1 verse 13, the Father has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us, past tense, transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. You and I are living in Christ's kingdom even now and never more so than we come to the rail and we are with Jesus. I will be with you in the kingdom, he says. And what he means is, whenever God's people gather together around word and sacrament, he is there. Again, I don't wanna, I, I don't wanna re-preach my, my Revelation series, but it's wrong to think of Jesus up there. It's a very deist way to think of Jesus as up there somewhere in outer space. And we're down here, and he can send us messages through the Holy Spirit. The, the, the more biblical way to see it is that God's world, heaven, our world, earth, overlap and interlock at several key spaces, just like at the tabernacle in Exodus 40. One of those key spaces is communion. Wherever Jesus is, we are at. And Christ promises to be with us in holy communion. I will eat this meal again with you in my kingdom, he says. And tonight he's gonna do it again. We're gonna have communion and God's gonna be faithful to this promise that Jesus made us that wherever we are gathered, he is there in the midst of us. That's not psychobabble. That's not like some sort of devotional thought. Oh man, Jesus is present. No, he actually is here. These three themes from Exodus, the tabernacle, redemption, and the covenant. Jesus grabs all three of these and in a way that's never been done before, fuses them together in the Passover meal, makes it about himself, and says, go, keep on doing this. Because as long as you do this, I will be there with you. Amen.
Please stand for prayer. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for being a good God and for loving us, and we thank you for not leaving us alone. You know how much of us need salvation, not just our minds, not just our emotions, not just our bodies, but all of those bits, and our relationships too, Father, and our creation, in the environment we live in. And Father, we praise you that you became human, that you became a man with both an invisible part and a visible physical part so that you could rescue all of us. And we pray that you would continue giving us not just information, not just spiritual direction, but that you would give us all of your son Jesus so that all of us can continue to have fellowship with you. Lord, in your mercy. Father, be with us uh, tonight and tomorrow and Easter as we journey again with your son uh, through the trial and through uh, the brokenheartedness of the garden and through the uh, betrayal of his friend and the abandonment of his other friends and through the shame and the pain of his death. And Father, help us to find ourselves located there in your love for us in that first Passion Week. Prepare our hearts for the joy of Easter morning making us confident and bold again that you have, through your son's resurrection, made all things new. Lord, in your mercy. Be with us as we come to the rail and receive you tonight. Father, help us to do it with faith. Help us to do it with the full knowledge that through the power of your word, that in the power of your Holy Spirit, and the power of your sacrament, that you are present here with us tonight. Help us to believe that that word is true. Mold and shape our minds and our hearts to accept that as the ultimate reality. And not what our doubts say, not what our eyes say, not what our experience says even, but what you say in your word. Lord, in your mercy. We pray all these things because through your son's death and resurrection, you have joined us to yourself. You have tabernacled with us. You've redeemed us. You've confirmed and made everlasting the covenant sealed in your son's blood. And now we can come into your throne room and even though we don't deserve it, by the merit of your son's righteous blood, we can come and make these requests of you as children to their dear father. And so we pray these prayer requests in the name of our brother Jesus, amen. The Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is truly good, right, and salutary that we should at all times and in all places give thanks to you. Holy Lord, Almighty Father, everlasting God, through Jesus Christ our Lord, who accomplished the salvation of mankind by the tree of the cross, that where death arose, their life also might rise again. And that the serpent who overcame by the tree of the garden might likewise by the tree of the cross be overcome. Therefore, with angels and archangels and with all the company of heaven, we laud and magnify your glorious name, evermore praising you and singing.
Now let's pray in Jesus' name the prayer that he taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Our Lord Jesus Christ, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples and said, Take, eat. This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper. And when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of this, all of you. This cup is the new covenant in my blood, shed for you for the forgiveness of all your sins. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. The peace of the Lord be with you always. Amen. You may be seated.
please stand. Now may this true body and blood of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ strengthen you and preserve you and keep you in the one true faith to life everlasting. Depart in Christ's peace. Amen. you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. Amen. Go in peace. See you tomorrow night.